This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Lord of mercy. All night, Sunday, Central. Follow me now. Listen, say hi, Dick. Yes, you're rolling hip-hop. Say Hello and welcome to the Rapcast. I'm Miro Sampson Folk, and today, a departure from the usual conversations around these parts. We're going to talk about basketball and the Premier League and soccer at large, comparing and contrasting the two things. I'm joined by two guests today, so a three-man podcast. One of them, the OG of Raptors Republic, Zarar Siddiqui, and another, Tosin, also known as Nigerian Scams on Twitter. And he's also the host of the Shirtless Plantain Show, which you can catch on YouTube. Guys, and we'll start with Zarar. How you doing, man? Uh, good, man. I'm still uh, basking in the uh, championship flow, which I expect to last, uh, I don't know, another couple of decades. Well, today is the, it's the five-week, I guess, anniversary, right? Yeah, it's, it's lost in the mix when you're thinking in terms of decades, man. Five weeks is nothing. Yeah, exactly. Tassin, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, just been watching way too much soccer this summer. Um, I didn't even know that was possible, but yeah, just been watching way too much. How do you feel about the Super Eagles this year? I know you wrote about it, but maybe reiterate it for this for this show. Um, it's is it is a journey um, because I literally watched Nigeria my whole life, and um, I think about like after the two thousand two World Cup, no two thousand two World Cup, we were just bad. So just to see kind of where we are from like two thousand two up to like twenty fourteen till now, there's been a big major progress. And a lot of people don't really watch Nigeria like that. They just kind of just watching that we have tournaments. I'm literally watching, like, I've watched a Nigeria game on, like, a shoddy Facebook stream of somebody in the stadium. So it's like I've been always watching these guys, and just to see their progress is, is amazing. Um, so, you know, it's a work in progress, really. We just have a bunch of young talent. It's just, like, getting it right at the end of the day. So just kind of excited for the future, but kind of disappointed at the same time that we didn't go to the final. But the first question I would think, and this is just off the dome to, I'm kind of interested what your response would be. Mm-hmm. Raptors fans might have to grapple with the exit of Kyle Lowry. You're obviously you're just waxing poetic about how big a fan you are of Nigeria's team yeah. and Johnny Ob- John Obi Mikel. 
he's a legend. I mean, I already knew this was going to be his last tournament. You could kind of see, even when he played in the World Cup last year, like he's just on his last legs. Um, but one thing I love about him that he knows that like there's a bunch of young talent coming up, and there's no point of staying, like you know, overstaying your welcome. Like you know, at some point it's just time to go. So he's a legend for that, and like just even just everything that he's done, like. He, he, I feel, if he grew up with this current Nigerian generation, you would have seen how great he really could have been with this team. But he's he's done well. He's done really, really well. And then I guess to flip it directly into a basketball contrast and comparing yeah. thing, there, let's say there, you're saying that if he fit in with this team, if he was the same age, you'd really get to see him shine. Yeah. But he didn't get to. Is yeah. there an heir apparent to him in the squad right now, maybe in the youth squad? And then also... From an outsider's perspective, you're obviously not a Raptors fan. Yeah. Who do you think is the heir apparent, if there is one, to Kyle Lowry on the Raptors? Uh, for Nigeria, we have, I mean, there's literally, I could give you maybe like 10 or 15 different kids that like, A, either aren't eligible to play for Nigeria right now. Nigeria have to like get them to like switch their allegiance. Or they're like just waiting. Like we have a kid named Kelly Shinkwali who um, played with the youth team. Um, he's supposed to be up next, but the problem is, he's at Arsenal and he's not going to make it at Arsenal. So he just needs to like figure out where he's going to play. Um, since we have a bunch of other young talent um, with the Raptors, I would say like somebody that you guys like, because what I see with Kyle Lowry is because um, my girlfriend, she's a Raptors fan. So I'm very privy to like knowing what's going on with you guys. Um, so one of the things that I would say is like Kyle Lowry is really loved by you guys. And I feel like he's underrated in a sense by everybody else. Cause I feel like nobody really watches you guys on a day-to-day basis. Um, so no, so when people saw how well he was doing, it was just like, you guys are like, well, that's what he does on a normal basis. That's like what we see. Um, I'll say somebody who's kind of loved like that would be probably Pascal. Um, I think that he would kind of be like the cornerstone for you guys going like, you know, for the next, you know, for the next couple of years. So I think that he will kind of be like that kind of like cornerstone of your team. And like, he'd be like the face of the Raptors in a sense. Zarar, I'm going to swing the first real question to you. And I've always thought for the last little while that one of the most intriguing conversations around the NBA right now, and it's something that Kevin Arnovitz, Zach Bo talked about recently, is the fanfare around transactions and the minimizing of a great deal of games, like regular season games that seemingly have no, no importance, some playoff games that are lost in memory. And there was also a lot of fake insiders this summer for the NBA, which I think also mirrors the crazy rumor mill around a lot of star soccer players. Have you noticed a change in how fans interact with the rumor mill in either the NBA or soccer? And if so, how have they changed and grown? Well, I think, I think there's a couple of questions in there. Like what, what one being like what, the extra games that seem to happen in the NBA that don't matter. And the second is the, uh, the rumor mill and the, and, 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 the, and, and the media. So uh, in terms of the, the, uh, the extra games, I think I've long been a fan, and I, I've, I've talked about this for, you know, I've sprinkled this into the Rapcast over several years, is that I really feel to make, the, to make the regular season more meaningful, we can still play 82 games, but we don't need 82 games to decide playoff seeding. What we should be doing is having a secondary competition in the NBA, much like they do in every other European league, where you have your, your, your league system and then you have a secondary cup. Or, or some, sometimes third cup even. I, I, I feel that if, if the NBA just switched to like one home game and one away game and played like a whatever, uh, you know, a 56-game schedule or 58-game schedule, 
the remaining games, because you, you know everybody's got to make money on this thing, so you can't just drop games. The remaining games could be structured in a way where it's a secondary competition, and you have you have a champion of some sort, uh, which is different than the NBA champion. So I always thought that would make uh, the the league more more interesting, and and maybe people would give a shit more about the league. Um, soccer also has this has this thing where. Uh, the league system, every game matters, right? Every game is three points or you, you draw, you get one point. That that gives a sense of urgency and excitement and meaning to every game. And that's something the NBA has never been able to say. Um, say, say same with, uh, with with hockey, for that matter. So that, that's always been kind of like my take on, on the extra games. As far as the media goes, uh, yes, there definitely have been a, a lot more uh, what's that Chris Broussard type moments here where everybody's trying to pretend to be an insider? Um, I, I'm, I'm not really on Twitter, so I, I'm sure there's a lot more um, going on than just Chris Broussard. But I just do, you know, I, I do check on his timeline sometimes just to make fun of him. Yes, there have been a lot more like fake rumors, but I just don't think it's anywhere close to what happens in, in Europe, especially if you're talking about England. Like if, if, you, if you focus more on England, like I, I lit, there are newspapers just built for fake rumors like Express, the Daily Express, the Daily Mirror, half of their stuff is garbage. And people almost read it as a tabloid. They don't expect it to be true. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the difference in mentality between NBA fans and soccer fans is that soccer fans sometimes read a newspaper knowing fully well it's garbage. And NBA fans expect the media to be generally more accurate in their reporting maybe the maybe the tide shifted this year with all the with, with all the bs stuff and even watch getting some stuff wrong so so but i i just don't think i think the still are too uh, pretty far apart in terms of how fans um at, at least parse the media so saying let me swing this over to you then so we are expressing obviously that the premier league how they do it the community shield you have things outside of the specific Premier League games. Do you agree with that being a better way to mince out who's the best and provide ulterior wins for other places, other teams during a regular season or during the Premier League season? And then also, you growing up, I'm pretty sure you're a Manchester United fan, the tabloid is rampant for that team. How do you feel about reading and watching people cover that team, how that affects the fans' perspective? Uh, so the first part, I mean, I would love to see more kind of like competitions in the NBA because like it's 82 games a season. And at some point, you know, players just check out like they just don't care anymore. It's like whatever, like we're going to the playoffs. Like we just check out like look at Draymond, like Draymond lost so much weight in the middle of the season because he was just like, oh, well, the playoffs are coming up soon. So it's like if you kind of give them more incentive or something else to play for instead of just like getting to the playoffs, that I feel like they'll make it a little bit more fun. But so many, like, different dead games. Like, people look forward to certain games. And no one really looks forward. Like, no one really wants to watch, like, you know, the Raptors versus the, you know, the Hornets. Or, like, you know, the Raptors versus the Suns, especially towards the end of the season. So when there's something more incentivized to play, then, you know, fans are going to probably care a little bit more. But as far as May United, I mean, done this my whole life, basically, being a United fan. So I think, I think it was probably last year, this year, like, I really just started to check. I'm like, you know what? Whatever happens, happens, because this is the biggest team in England and probably the biggest team in the world. So, like, you're always going to get rumors. You're always going to get players linked. And this year alone, we've had, like, over 120 players linked to us. And we've only signed two. So it was just the fans get overeager and they start to, like, get annoyed with the team. And it's just like, look, this is a billion-dollar business. Like, you can't expect 
them to just sign certain players. And you know how the owners are. The owners have been the same since 2005. So, you know, I feel like a lot of times fans just, they believe the lies and then the lies like start to affect the way they see the team and they get real negative. It's just like, look, there's nothing you can do about that. United are always going to get rumors. You just have to deal with it and just, you know, take it for what it is. And, and, and maybe just just to add to that, I, I, I think some, sometimes because there are so many constraints in making deals in the NBA, uh, right? I mean, the, the salary yeah. has to match and there's all, all there's a salary cap structure. There's a CBA and all that stuff. In soccer, you generally don't have that. I mean, the financial fair play is more or less a joke. So mm-hmm. the, the, the flexibility in soccer is always there. So when you hear a rumor in in the NBA, one at least I hear rumor, the first thing that comes to mind is like, ah, man, it's, it's going to be tough to you know get that working on the ESPN trade checker or get or get 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 the logistics to match uh, or get the financials to match. In soccer, you don't have to worry about that. When you hear a rumor to you know like uh, I don't know Sanchez to United, you're like, yeah, totally possible because it's it's all about cash. No, I was gonna say like you know the fact that there's no salary gap in soccer and like everybody has money now is kind of like, I mean, I won't be shocked if that happens, you know. So let's table that just for a second. I want to ask both you guys about there's the World Series, the Stanley Cup, the Super Bowl, Larry O'B. Everything about American sport seems to be the one culmination of like a winner. Whereas in European sport, there seems to be more options to find a victory and more avenues to find victory. How do you think fans, and I'll go to you first about this, Zarar, how do you think fans would respond with alternate competitions? I know it's more and more things to watch, but it seems like American fans, Canadian fans want the one thing. And if you tried to divide the attention, how do you think the fans would respond to alternate competitions? Would they, would they, like, would they be invalidated, do you think, by the fandom? Because everything is about rings, chips in this in this sports fandom, like in the Western world. I I don't know is, is the answer, but I, I can speculate that whenever you introduce a change like this, I think it's always met. Any change anywhere is met with a bunch of skepticism at first. And uh, if something like this was to happen, uh, I'm pretty sure fans be like, "What the hell?" But then once you actually start, it it, it all depends what it does to the level of play. If the level of play increases in the secondary competition game, then I think fans would be like, okay, I would not, now we're seeing some real stuff and, and we're, we're getting something something at the end of it. Um, if the level, if, if the players like basically don't care and just ignore the secondary competition completely, then the fans might ignore it too. I, I honestly don't know. It, it, just, it, just, it just depends on how much you incentivize uh, players to play in, a, in, in, in games. So, so load management, for example. I mean... I think that still might happen in a secondary competition, or it might not. Depends on what you get at the end of the secondary competition. Um, you know, if it's, um, you know, the baseball does something like the what is that? The, the home field advantage gets to the All Star game. So if you tie it back to something greater, or maybe the winner of the secondary competition gets a playoff seed. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. You 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 put a big enough prize at the end of it, people will start to care. To give you a, to give you a soccer analogy, I never cared about the Europa League um you know I, I hate the Europa League it's on Thursday nights it sucks it's long you got to go to like Eastern Europe for like all these places where you play on hard grounds but you know what for the last couple of years the the winner of the Europa League gets to be in the Champions League and that made a lot of people care about a competition they don't usually care about how that would translate to um, to North American sports I don't know but I would love to find out I mean, I completely agree. I feel like once you introduce a change, 
I mean, even look at like we just added VAR to the Premier League. This is gonna be the first season we've seen it. You've already seen the uh, the backlash of it. Like people are just like, oh no, we're gonna change the sport. Like uh, one of the players from uh, Barca from Bayern Munich, he's not a fan of um, he's not a fan of VAR. He just says he takes it away. But it's like when you add change to anything, people are gonna be skeptical about it. But I feel like if you and like you know if you make it fun and more incentivize the people. You know, then then it'll be fun. You know, people people will be people will be willing to accept it. But it's just that I feel like it's such American culture to have that one thing because it's just like, you know, you win the Super Bowl, but then you won like the other tournaments. So it's just like who else is the winner? You know, I feel like that's just kind of ingrained into like American cultures. Like been doing that literally since the beginning of all these leagues. So it's going to be such a different change for them. That's why I was wondering: is it's that trump card? It's that you invalidate every other thing. It's why Chris Paul is seen as a loser because. His great games were in the first and second rounds, and but he's mm-hmm. never won a chip. So everything else is invalidated. We love Kyrie Irving, even though he's kind of in the doldries. He's not doing much during the regular season, but he hit the shot over Steph Curry. So, like yeah. the slander can never touch him. To get back to what you brought up, just one thing, Sam, on that. I mean, I, I know it's not the same. It's totally different. But you saw that, like, as soon as they changed the summer league structure of how the games were played. People started caring more about it, even though it's, you know, the Raptors light with like, you know, two D-leaguers or, I don't know, six D-leaguers and, the, and their first round draft pick. Just changing it into a tournament structure made it more interesting. So, again, I, I don't know if it's going to work, but I think it's, it's, it's something that the NBA loves to tinker uh, with rules, with things that, like that. Adam Silver has always been a guy who likes to experiment. So, uh, hey, why not? Yeah, well, a tournament... As long as you're making guys go head-to-head, teams go head-to-head, there's always the potential to invoke the tribalism from each fan base. Invoking the tribalism always gets people amped up, and generally amped up fans watch and spend money, and it would probably be good for the league. I I think I agree with both you guys on that, that the Premier League format is probably healthier long-term. And that'll bring up another topic, but one that we're going to leave. First, I do want to talk about the financials that you brought up and how it impacted the rumor mill, but rather let's talk about how it impacts team building in the Premier League, let's say, against the NBA. What is the biggest contrast between the financial fair play that rules the NBA and that seemingly ha- doesn't have a grip on anything in the Premier League? And we'll go to Tussin for this first. Uh, you kind of can build your squad out. If you're smart enough, you can build your squad out for a longer time. Like, for example, with, you know, let's say the Warriors want to keep KD and they didn't have to worry about the um, salary cap. Like, they literally could shell out whatever money they wanted to and just keep running it back. They literally could have had that same squad and just kept running it back. And they could have got whoever they want. Like, with, you know, I wouldn't say, my, for example, Main United, we have a lot of money, but we don't spend the money correctly. We spent almost a billion pounds, you know, in the last, like, 10 years not correctly. So it's like you can literally build your whole squad out, you know, to to continue to dominate. I mean, that's what. But if you, ha- it's the same thing with NBA. It's like if you, you know, you have to know how how to spend your money correctly. You know, have to you have to properly like balance your squad and have the right amount of like squad players, the right amount of talent. You know, so it's literally the same thing, except that with soccer, you just have, you know, if, depending on who your team is, you have enough money to just do whatever the hell you want, in a sense. And what do you think, Sir Art? I think it definitely you need to be much shrewder in the NBA or in, in, in any salary cap league to to build a team. And you almost always have to take a long-term view. And the decisions you make every 
uh, summer or any, uh, you know, stay with you. Like you, you can't just like write them off. Like if you if you sign Chris Paul to a you know bazillion dollar deal, well, you know, you're gonna have to live with it, and you're gonna have to to get rid of him. You're gonna have to like give away draft picks. So there are consequences of bad decisions. In soccer, they may not necessarily be the same consequences. You can afford to get a player for $35 million and just write him off and move on to the next one. But even in soccer, even in football, I think you always have to look at, look at what type of club you are. And broadly speaking, there are like two or three types of club. One, you know, as, as Tassin mentioned, you have the free spenders like Man U, PSG, Man City, who it, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they can every summer, they could retool, they could buy... They, they, they could just reshuffle their roster because they have the money, right? And, and that's a luxury that, that, that some clubs have. Then you have clubs which, even though there is no salary cap, they have to operate under some strict financial constraints. So the best example that, that, that I can find really is, is, is uh, Arsenal under uh, Wenger for the last, I don't know, 15, 16 years before he left. They operated literally, they, they only spent what they earned. So unlike Man City and then some of the big oil teams, it wasn't just a blank check every time. It was like you had to, you know, sell people in the transfer window to get money so you could retool. Um, now, I think as, as as more money has come into the Premier League, as the format has changed and money is split more evenly and the TV deals have gone up, even smaller clubs, you know, like, like, like Leicester, for example, or even Watford for that matter, West Ham, Everton, these teams can actually afford to spend more and be a little bit looser with the finances. Um, so I, I think the the way it's the NBA basically has been more or less the same throughout this period. Whereas the whereas the Premier League or even, even I, I don't know how Spanish football splits their money, but I think that it's, it's it's a little different. As more money has come in, teams have become more looser and less less cautious in how they spend that money. And when you're talking about having to be more shrewd in building a team in the NBA, is this what you think? takes a team from trying to collect as many talented players as possible to where the game is becoming more commodified now is that people are getting roles attached to them and these roles are worth a perceived amount of money and there is that in soccer as well but probably to a higher degree in basketball it seems like what do you think um uh, you, you mean like there's a reputational price attached to players like the the three and D tag, the rim protector tag, the mm. dive man tag, and I know there's like center defensive. You have like your ten, you have your nine, but right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't honestly know if there's. Um, I mean, I mean, there are always players who are considered very good at their position. Um, I, I, I don't know if you can get away with being, you know, a defender who only knows how to head the ball. Like I don't know. Like I don't think you can do that in, in soccer. Like. Uh, like if you have a, a single a single skill you're really good at uh, as as a as as a you know as a defender, I don't think that's enough for you to stick in the game at least at least in the starting capacity. I'm wondering what what Tassin thinks of that. Well, actually, um, Tassin, I want to kind of yeah. rephrase this oh. and yeah. then get a second part on okay. when you answer it. So, keeping in mind what we were just talking about, but also this as well. So, oftentimes announcers and pundits will use buzzwords to describe. African players in soccer, like pacey, strong, physical, things like that. Is there anything similar to that in the NBA? And since we're talking about 3 and D, rim protector, keep in mind what Zarrar answered, but also that afterwards, please. 
Uh, no, I feel like in the NBA is different because the NBA understands its culture. Like the NBA, like, and that's something like you know, I I work in advertising. And there's one thing I've always said about the NBA versus every other league. The NBA knows how to market towards its towards its core fan base. Like the NBA knows who are the main players in the league, and they know exactly what to say to the players and not what to say to the players. Like versus soccer, like you have somebody who can, you know, they'll slightly say something crazy, and that's because there's not enough people like of the culture or like you know trying to cover the sport, which is part of why we created our show because again like there's not really that much people that understand the the culture of what these of how a lot of these soccer players grew up, um, which is why like you know you have these rumors and people believe how certain players are because like you don't understand how they are or how they grew up, um, and you said as far as the um, like as far as like like a like a specific trait soccer players have. Um, I mean, there are some players who are, like, good at one thing and they get signed, but, like, eventually they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to learn how to become a much better player because they that's how you get left behind. I mean, look at Kante, for example. When he first joined Leicester, he was just kind of like this, you know, box, to, like, just literally just a ball winner. And now he's, like, his game has changed so much. So you have to consistently adapt yourself in soccer and, like, you know, re-evolve and all these different things because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. And, and and there may be certain types of players, but they're I don't think they're necessarily tied to uh, a country. Uh, so like the central defender role, uh, the you know, the the engine room role, uh, like guys like Paul Scholes, Maddox, uh, mm-hmm. Vieira, Parler, they were all guys who were just bruisers, right? Guys yeah. who like if you were going up against, you knew that you were going to have a bad time that day. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were they were physical, they were strong. Um, but at the same time, they also had a lot of skill, right? The, the, the mm-hmm. thing most people don't know about Paul Scholes is that Paul, how do you say, Scholes? Scholes, yeah, Paul Scholes, yeah. Yeah, Paul Scholes, yeah. He was a guy who, who just everybody hated playing against because he was, a, you know, arguably a very dirty player, you know, need you in the back. But at the same time, he also had skill. So there mm-hmm. will always be that type of uh, of player that fits a certain mold, kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of an NBA comparison for, um, I don't know, man. Like somebody who just like like a D- Draymond Green type player. I don't know. Yeah, um, like Dray- Draymond's an ass, but like he's he's one of those players that you hate to play against, but you love to play with him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 there's definitely that, and then you have like so some of the flakier forwards. You know, uh, like Messerus comes to mind. You know, high talent, mm-hmm. but you know doesn't do enough in other areas of the game. So there's definitely categorizations of players, but I, I just don't think it's ever been tied to a uh, a, p- a particular place in the world. Um, you know, I, I always hear things like, yeah, I, I guess you always hear things like, oh man, this, uh, you know, you know, this Latin American player with high skill. But I think over, over the course of time that that has proven out to be more or less not really true. Yeah. So Sin, to get back to what you said about yeah. the sly description of saying, you know, pacey or strong, do you think that's a remnant of trying to elevate the mind and the brain of white players like a Jack Wilshere who the type of skill he had on ball and his physical traits were emulated by so many players around the world. But since he's, you know, a white English boy, he was propped up as something more and describing African players as say just pacey and strong is robbing them of something that they can give to white players. Is that too much of me reading into that? Or is that a remnant of racism? a, A bit of both. I mean, like what really is with soccer is like, what you see is like, and I've always said, the soccer is just the reflection of society. Um, it literally, like you, every country kind of has their, you know, their the way they the way they view life 
you know, even though soccer is an escape from reality for a lot of people, you know, when we watched it for 90 minutes, you're really escaping reality. But it comes up like in Italy, for example, like that's how, you know, not to, you know, I know some people who might be Italian and say, oh, you might be wrong. But like, you know, they're they're background history comes out like you know you can tell when a country is racist just from like the way their media covers it or the way like their announcers speak about players you know it's just literally the culture that's in that in that country that comes out and obviously a lot of times they don't intentionally mean to to be like that but it's just so ingrained into them that they don't know any better they just know that that's that's all they know and it sucks but it is just the reality of what it is and that's why, like, you know, I feel that's why more independent media needs to come out more in um, in the soccer culture. Like, that's why we need different, you know, brands and different people coming out to just kind of kind of not denounce in a sense, but like just give a different perspective because there's, there's only one sort of perspective. And you kind of see what the announcers and like the, the people who are in charge of the sport in a sense. And is there a specific example? Like you said, the NBA understands their players and how to speak to their players and fans better mm-hmm. Is there an example of that? One big example? Yeah, I mean, look at the dress code. I mean, obviously, when David Stern first did that, I mean, we all knew why he did that. It was because of AI and, like, all of that. But, like, now, um, you can even see in the way the commercials are set. You can see in the way that the, um, you know, you can see in, like, the way that the, you know, Adam Silver speaks to the players. You can just see in, like, the NBA is really generally trying their hardest to, like, relate to a different culture that, you know, in previous times, they would never do that before. Like, especially in the David Stern. Like, David Stern, we all knew who David Stern was. Like, David Stern was, you know, it was an ass. David Stern, like, was, he knew he was hated, and he did he did things like that just because, you know, he can't. But with, like, Adam Silver now, Adam Silver's now, like, okay, how do we relate to these younger, to this younger audience? You can see even with the music they play with, with the commercials and, like, the uh, sponsorship the players get. They let them, they let them have more of a, a personality. And let them express Zarrar. themselves a lot more. Yeah, Zarrar, mm-hmm. that, that makes me think about the player empowerment movement that is in the NBA right now. And what Tosin said was kind of like the grassroots, the beginning of letting the players grow their culture and the culture being becoming intertwined with the game and what makes basketball so popular. What are the biggest similarities and differences between player empowerment in the NBA and then an example of maybe Neymar in, in soccer? What are, what are the biggest differences and similarities? Well, I, I think in 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 football, it, there's always been significant player power. Just because you can pretty much demand, you, you can actually request uh, have have a transfer request submitted, and you not giving hundred percent or sitting out is almost considered acceptable. And um, fans may not think it's acceptable, but generally in the in, in the industry, it's like if you don't want to play for the team. You don't play for the team. Like the most recent example is from like two days ago when Lauren Koscielny uh, for Arsenal refused to uh, come to uh, the USA tour because he didn't want to. Right. And the club released a statement saying he's not coming. And that's the end of that. Like he's going to get shipped now. Like that's that's how simple it is for a player to kind of, you know, say I'm going out and the club now it's up to the club to get rid of him. Um, I think in the NBA. You know, as, as soon as that news comes out in soccer, I mean, his value dips in the market and people are not going to ship him. Or are not going to pay too much for him. I think in in basketball, uh, players, teams, I should say, still retain greater control over the asset uh, than in football, just because it goes back to the collective bargaining agreement and and, and the rules that are in place. Um, so I think NBA still has some ways to go um, 
to reach uh, the player empowerment that, that that they find in football. Now, what's if the N, if the NBA actually enforced its collusion rules that it has in place, then I think you would see that reduce a lot more. In soccer, I just I know there's a thing called tampering, but nobody even in, in enforces it or even talks about it. In the NBA, they sometimes kind of enforce, uh, you know, collusion like Doc Rivers got fined and all that. I, I feel how, how how well that rule is enforced has a direct result on how much player power there is. Um, I that, that, that that's kind of where I am where, where I am with that. Justin, I'll swing this to you. Zarar laid out why soccer players have more agency, but do you think there's an example of why NBA players might have more agency in certain areas than soccer players? Yeah, I mean, like, look at like how AD got traded. Like, AD didn't want to be there anymore. I mean, in the NFL, for example, if you tried that, they'll send you to Buffalo. They don't give, they don't care. The NBA now, like, I feel like players can, like, express themselves and say how they really feel. And, I mean, look at Rich Paul. Rich Paul's an agent, right? Like, we never, I mean, in soccer, it's kind of the same thing. We know who, uh, Mino Raiola is, and we know who Cristiano's agent is. But, like, Rich Paul has a whole SI cover. That's insane to me that, like, we now have agents, you know, as getting their own, you know, people know who Clutch Sports is. You know, there's a joke about Clutch Sports. It's like, now now in the sport, you're starting to see more and more, um, more and more individuals that just not only are in the NBA, but, like, you know, even look at the way Masai spoke about. We never really see, you know, CEOs or like executives really like as a personality per se and in the NBA now it's like everyone's kind of their own personality so it's just kind of nice to see that I mean NBA has grown a lot from especially when I first moved to America and watched soccer you know watch NBA it's like I've seen the league go from like this really so like rigid kind of league to like now everybody has their full-on expression I guess looking at it from more of a Look at the franchises, I guess, is yeah. the NBA, it grows deeper and deeper each year, I think anyway. And that means the player pool keeps getting deeper and deeper. Do you think that eventually becomes so vast that the league could support a secondary league and a relegation system, like in the Premier League, for example? Or do you think that's too far away? Is the game too different? What do you think, Justin? Uh, I would love to see it happen. I've said it a million times. I've tweeted that like I would love to see a team like the Bobcats get sent or the Knicks get sent away because they're just bad. Like they just stink up the place. But um, I don't think it's gonna happen just because just the way America is. Like you know, somebody's gonna lose money, and once you mess with people's money, that's that for that. So it's not gonna happen anytime soon. And yeah, it's just once you start messing with money. You're you're uh you're you're done with that. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, man. I mean, I, again, I would love to have been been calling it for 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 years now. Um, just because I think it is as much excitement at the bottom end of the table as there is at the top. Um, but as you know, as Tessin said, it's it's it, the financials just don't work out. I mean, at the very least, you would have to, you know, assuming you figure out all the ownership problems that come with it and 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 the money that gets lost. I, I think you also have to figure out a way back. Like in this example, if the Knicks get punted out of the NBA and go to like, I don't know, the NBA 2, uh, I don't think that owner will be too happy with that unless they unless it's more of a short-term exile from the top league, not a potentially permanent one. Uh, because in, 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 in football, like once you're out of the Premier League or the, or the, the, or the, the La Liga, like you're, you're potentially gone forever. Right. I mean, if you don't get better, like you're practically out. And I think that 
potentially out forever part is something I don't think any any team would would be would be would be cool with. Uh, now, now what it's you the... could do, you could not necessarily. I mean, you could structure your your. I don't know your 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 maybe not add more teams, but within your thirty teams, change the format so that. You know, that's what the playoffs basically are. They kick out 14 teams and have a competition between the 16. Maybe you can play around with that where, you know, maybe a shorter season, you qualify for the playoffs early on and the rest of the teams do something, I don't know, do something else, compete for a secondary championship for the rest of the season. Something like that might, uh, I'm, I'm just spitballing here. So, hey, hey I, yeah. I thought of something. So, season, yeah, I, starts, I, season starts 30 games. You play, I don't know, 40 games to figure out who goes in the playoffs. The other uh, 14 teams play a secondary competition. They're already out in January. Well, I'll suggest something that probably would take a really long time, but would you maybe build from the bottom instead of removing from the top? Like, the big thing to make that happen, obviously, is that the secondary talent, the secondary market has to be raised considerably, right? And that's the whole thing about there's such a bevy of talent and people willing to engage with and participate in the secondary market in England that they're allowed to have that happen. Do you think there's a way forward that you could even get a secondary market to that level? Like the G League is obviously great. The Raptors, this is a Rapcast after all, the Raptors utilize the G League almost better than any other team. Is building up the G League, like they're saying, players can, they're trying to get players to enter the G League straight out of high school. They're trying to support that. Is that the way forward rather than trying to instill some sort of FL championship? What do you think? Uh, that certainly has a much longer time horizon. I mean, it's possible, but I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, decades on, on that one until the G League yeah. gets to the point where somebody cares about it, right? Um, so the, the, the first approach would be something more immediate and it would retain people's attention more. But the other one obviously is, is better just because in terms of player development, the talent is more spread out and, and you have more parity, uh, I guess, but it just, the, the, the time horizon is just so long that it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Well, I guess it would be, you just have to grant basketball the same amount of time to grow as, as soccer has had worldwide anyway, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. To get into something that's a little bit simpler, a little bit more fun and out of the weeds, to sin, I'll ask you this question. Yeah. The cleanest across-sport comparisons between the NBA and the Premier League. It can be about play style. It can be about looks. We could talk about Eden Hazard and Kyle Lowry for the booty. Whatever you I'm, want it to be, man. I literally was about to say that first. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the first, honestly, like, I, and I've been thinking about this. Um... I probably have to say Neymar and um, Kyrie almost are like eerily similar in a sense. Um, just in a sense that like they both left like, you know, Messi and LeBron and like, and they're both weird. Like they're both really, really weird individuals, but they're so talented. But it's almost like as if they don't apply that talent and people get frustrated with them. So I feel like Neymar and Kyrie are really, really like eerily similar to me at least. Well, they're both mercurial figures and they seem to kind of nod their heads at, you know, the powers that be and they just kind of deny whatever is happening. And like you said, both went away from Messi and LeBron, even mm. though objectively those seemed like better situations for them to play in. And they left them to go try and find stardom that didn't come on the pitch or on the court, but certainly yeah. has followed them off the court, off the pitch. Zarar, what do you think? 
I'm going to go with two. Uh, I'm going to go with the Leicester and the Raptors. Uh, like, you know, two teams that kind of came out of nowhere and, and, and won a title and surprised uh, a lot of people. Uh, you can you can equate Kawhi to, I don't know, uh, Vardy or um, Mares. And um, from, a, from an individual comparison, I'll go with Pop and Wenger um, because I think both are... Uh, you know, obviously with the same team for 20 years or so, 20 plus years, um, success early on and then a big dry spell, uh, very, you know, fundamental in their approach to team building and and how the game should be played. I, th- I think those two kind of jump out at me um, pretty easily. And, and that's something that I've been mulling for, for quite some time. Well, this is something you and I talked about on the Raptors public group chat some time ago. And I think it showed a bit of my ignorance as a as a soccer fan because I asked immediately, I was like, well, has Arsenal ever won the Champions League? And, well, not while it's been the Champions League, right? And that brings up something that's really interesting for me to talk about is that I do share some of those ideals of that American vision of, like, you have to win it all. That when I watch soccer, the Champions League is my favorite thing. But when I asked you in that group chat, like, what do you think is more important to win the the Premier League, the Champions League, or the NBA Finals, and you said the Premier League. How do you feel about that? I just feel it's the toughest thing to win. That's why it feels so good to win it. Uh, it, it speaks of a sustained effort over months at a time, um, and that's why it's so enjoyable to win it because you you kind of live and die through the Premier League or any any top European league because every game matters and. You know, starting in mid-August, you play, you know, we're playing Newcastle and that game is equally as important as when we play, uh, I don't know, Everton later on in in January. Uh, And I think when you, it it almost builds up, like when it starts in August and, you you know, the the, the tension rises around Christmas time, you know, then you have a bit of a, you know, winter congestion and you get a little nervous there and February comes along. And if you're an Arsenal fan, you choke. But generally speaking, like you, you keep caring about you caring about the care builds throughout the season. And if you finally win it, it just has a greater sense of accomplishment. The Champions League is an amazing competition. It's just that you can get hot and win it. You can't just get hot and win the Premier League. That's what adds a adds a level of uh, I don't know, accomplishment to the Premier League that I, that I think is missing in, uh, in in a tournament style format. Sin, what do you think? Obviously, because from my opinion, I love the idea. And yes, you can get hot and win it. But the Champions League is this hot-blooded, the best of Europe, Didier Drogba headers, like destiny goals and things like that. And you get to play against Ronaldo when he's in La Liga. You get to play against Zlatan when he's in, you know, Italy. And it's all these players and it's a beautiful celebration. Like Zarar said, a wonderful competition. What do you think is the best of those three, the NBA Finals, the Champions League, and the Premier League? I'm going to like be extra and say the World Cup is the best. Um, <laughs> but, but to like really answer questions, the Champions League, not even close. I love the Premier League. Like I love winning it. But like I've seen United win the, Premier, the Champions League twice. And both times, like, you never get that feeling back. Like That's such an amazing feeling to see your team win the Champions League. And it's just like, it's, it's the pinnacle. It's like literally like, it's the best of the best in Europe and literally you're the best on the continent. So, I mean, while winning the league is fun, um, again, like I've seen this team literally win all three of like, you know, the only team that's going to treble. So like, I'm, I'm happy to see that. But 
again, the Champions League is just it's just indescribable. Like that is the pinnacle of it. Like when my boys are Madrid fans, and when they won three in a row, like you don't know how mad I was at them. Just like you guys really have won three in a row. Like not just one. Like you've won three. So I think that the Champions League is 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 it. Yeah, it's harder. Or sorry, go yeah. ahead, Zara. So I, I think the, the 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 Spanish example is is, is a good one because uh, I I, to- I totally see that from a Spanish perspective. I mean, in in Spain, two teams win win the Liga every year, so the Champions mm-hmm. League means something very different uh, in, uh, in in that competition than sorry in in, in Spain than it, than it would in England. Oh, that's a really good point. Is that those leagues aren't as deep, so they have to look elsewhere to validate their super teams, like U- Juve getting Ronaldo trying to win. The Champions League after they won the Serie A or Calcia A so many times. That's what you mean, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll, I'll swing this back to you, Tassin. The Champions League, like Zarar said, is a team can get really hot and win it. They're in fantastic form. They go all the way. Ajax, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But also, that's what makes it difficult. You play against those teams. Even if you are one of the teams in great form, you have to play against those teams. It's also less games. It's a pressure cooker to compete in. That's the difficult part about it. But it's not as long, and there's not as many games to compete in as the Premier League. So there's detractors on both sides. Which do you think is more difficult to achieve? Champions League. Um, Just because it's, first of all, to get into it in the first place is hard. Um, Second of all, it's like, there's just, it's so many different factors that happen at one time, like, you know, you could have a horrible ref one time. You could have something crazy just happen. So, you know, the Champions League is uh, it's 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 a uh, it's a gauntlet, and I'm kind of mad we're in Europa League this year because I'm I just missed the Champions League. But it's 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 it's, it's that's just the competition. It, it's it's the one. That's that's all it is. So it's interesting the way that everything pans out. Like you said, the Champions League, so much happens. And you already you have to vie for that. And the NBA is already the NBA playoffs are kind of like a version of the Champions League in its own. And I guess like you said, the Champions League is the hardest. Do you think there's is the World Cup harder? Is the World Cup easier? What do you think about that to Sam? I think the World Cup is the hardest sporting competition. Like there's nothing harder than the World Cup. Because it happens every four years. Um, you know, Sometimes you need you need luck for sure. Um, I mean, like I'm a I'm a huge fan. My my favorite soccer player of all time is Brazilian Ronaldo. Like no one to me is better than him ever. That's just my personal bias. Um, but like in '98, for example, um, Romario got injured and we the world got robbed of seeing Romario and Ronaldo. Um, Brazil did all the way to get they did, they did very well all the, you know that year they're supposed to win, and then all of a sudden you know Ronaldo got sick overnight. And it's like, holy hell, your best player, who's the best player in the world right now, um, just got sick overnight. And France ended up winning 3-1 or 4, whatever it was, 3 or 4-1, I think. And literally things like that, it's like there's so much drama within that. It's like, that's what makes it so much fun. I mean, yeah, World Cup is uh, is very difficult to win. Like, so many things have to go right for your team to, to to kind of win it. I mean, there's a massive qualification stage. Players retire, they come and go. Uh, you get it, it, summer injuries. Uh, you know, it, it's yeah. There's there's so many variables. There's so many things that have to go right that uh, that that I, I think it, it it does make the competition very difficult. And it's also very cyclical, right? Like you'll have you'll have a 
a team that is going through like a youth rebuilding phase and you know like they're not going to make it to the to the world cup for the next next four years look at italy last time right i mean so yeah i, I fully agree of all this of all the football competitions out there um for a team to win the world cup there's too many things that have to work out for for that to happen so it's it's, it's i don't think it's even close I think that transitions into the last question I want to talk about before we answer some Twitter questions and pontificate on that. It's interesting that the NBA fandom, a lot of the time, because of super teams and how much control a single player has over what team wins the championship, that there's an inevitability that the Warriors were going to win or that the Heat were going to win, but there's, that's never there in soccer, even during Spain's golden age, right? And teams have these golden eras, but they might not win everything. What do you think about the like soccer as a sport, all the different variables and NBA basketball as a sport with like all the different variables? Is there any version where a soccer player can ever get as close to one single NBA player to controlling the tempo of a game? Have you ever seen it happen to sin? I'll give this to you first. Like a player that you feel like literally he's just that dominant. Like Iniesta with Barca in his prime, Busquets yeah. or yeah, Pirlo. That, that whole that whole Barcelona team, like with like that Pep's that Pep uh, Barcelona team with Messi and Xavi and Iniesta and David Villa and Eto, they literally are that example. Like that's the only one. Like that that's it. That team was just literally just a bunch of freaks. Like, I don't know what else to say about a team like that. Like, they legit were just a freak of nature, that whole entire team. There's nothing you could do about it. So, what do you think about that, Zarar? Is that the team to you? Um, so, I, I think there's definitely some players who just carry a team. And, um, you know, kind of like how Kobe carried the Lakers those years. I mean, um, Pirlo comes to mind, like a guy who can just control the tempo, the flow of the game, and not even leave the center circle. Uh, Iniesta is, a, is obviously a good example. Xavi is, is, is another one from that era. Um, I think uh, guys like Henri, who didn't even have time on the ball much, always were such a threat that you were always worried about them in the game. Uh, but can you know? it just comes down to numbers, really. You know, can, the, the, one guy in 11 will make less impact than one guy in five sometimes. And um, that that's just the, the math of it. But there definitely are players who can influence the game to a, to a large degree. I mean, and, and also psychologically, too. Like, I, I look at somebody like Diego Costa for, for Chelsea. Uh, you know, he's a striker, doesn't get the ball that often. But just just the amount of worry he causes, you know, six guys on the on the on the pitch when he's on has a direct influence on the game and, and your entire formation shifts to accommodate for, you know, one or two players or sometimes one player. Uh, Messi's an obvious example on the, you know, in, in, in Barca where, you know, you, you know, it, like if you think Messi, you know, obviously he has a massive influence on how, how, how teams play him. Uh, so there's, there's definitely that parallel to be drawn in the, in the NBA and, uh, and, and football. And just look at Kawhi, like in, in, in the Raptors run we had, I mean, how much attention did, did Milwaukee or, or Philly have to pay to him? And, uh, you know, so definitely parallels to be drawn. Uh, I just, uh, before we moved, oh, sorry, go ahead, Sam. I have one more example of that. Um, Brazilian Ronaldo that I was just mentioning. Um, if you search on YouTube, Ronaldo France defenders, go to the first video. I think it's World Cup 98 French team. They train for Brazil. They literally like have a bunch of like some of the best defenders of all time. 
Um, it's Desai, Duran, a bunch of different players. And they're talking about him and how, like, just dominant he is as a force. Like, you literally cannot... They You'll see the video. It's like a minute, 20 seconds. And they literally just talk about how great this one player is and just how dominant of a force he is. I feel like, you know... I'm kind of blessed that I grew up in this generation of like, you know, watching the 90s and like the 2000s, like now the 20, you know, everything 2010. And like I say all the time, people don't realize how good like Brazilian Ronaldo was. Like he literally was just like a legit freak of nature to lead towards knee. Um, like he was 20 years old and he like won best player of the year. Like he was, I think he was 19 or 20 when he scored like 34 goals in Spain. So he literally was like just an one man wrecking machine until like you know he got injured but he like you you watch that video you see how dominant one player is we'll go to twitter questions now zarar i'll give this one to you first and it's from mo at motif 04 says here's a wild one would the loan system work in the nba function would be similar to the buyout market for teams gunning for the championship what do you think I think that'd be amazing. I, I, I think it would add a level of variability to player movement that would be super exciting. Um, yes, uh, that's a hard yes for, uh, for me. Um, will it be implemented? I think it goes back to your player power question. And because player power is increasing a little bit, so people might, might, not, might not be big fans of that. But I, I still feel that is, it, it's not ludicrous or out of the realm to think that a loan system could be implemented in PA. Um, I, th- I think guys who like, like let's let's take a rapper's example. Somebody like, I don't know, let's say um, Chris Boucher, for example, is is, is somebody who um, I don't know. Let's say Norm Powell or somebody who might not be getting the time that he needs with the Raptors and might be discontent. Could do a year somewhere and you know play for a championship team and get some experience there. And it, the championship team might be like, you know what, this is a rent a player. We got a bit of a hole to fill. This works out. It works out for both teams. The Raptors might not be competing anyways. It's it, it's a trade that might work for everybody. So I think I think you can you you can you can pair up teams that are looking to you know develop players and maybe don't have the capacity to develop them or whatever or want to get some playoff experience in there. I can totally see that happening, especially when teams taking a more short shorter term view to winning a title. They may not care about the long term outlook of where the team is in five, six years, or they may not care about player development as much, but they do care about getting a ring next year and they might be willing to pay big money to 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 rent a player. Talking about the young guys, like you mentioned, Chris Boucher a big part of the Raptors wanting to get their own D-League team at the time was that they weren't happy with how their players were being developed and the kind of jumbled systems where most teams didn't have a D-League team, so you, your young players got developed how they got developed, and you had little control. How do you think teams would engage? And still back to you, Zarrar, how do you think teams would engage with that if they're loaning out a young player, but they weren't being developed the way they liked? And I think that's what, what that's what a loan system really is for, right? I mean, it's 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 for it's for getting professional experience in competitive environments. Uh, the D League gives you experience, but it may not give you experience against like great players or or, or heavy competition. Yeah, yeah, the talent level just isn't there, so it would kind of fill that gap. But I think this conversation has to be had in the context of definitely teams taking a shorter view, like a, like a shorter term approach to championship. Uh, you know, winning a championship. Like if you're, like if you're, if you're uh, OKC or whatever right now with their eight picks, 
you have no reason to loan out players to players because first of all you don't have any players but second if you want to build them you can just play them in your in, uh, with the OKC Thunder and you'll be fine it's just cases where you don't have maybe the the playing time to develop certain players but you want them to but that player could add something specific to another team where it might work i just think the idea of player movement is is adds more excitement so that's why i'm a big fan of it do you have anything to add to that to sin I just think it would just be a very interesting concept and to see how it would work because uh, I know how long systems work in, in football, but like to see it in the NBA would be uh, it'd be something, to say the least. So We have another question here from Fuzzy Slippers at AJCool16, and I'll go to you first to send. Why are there way more late bloomers in the NBA than football? That is a really good question. Um... I think there's more, more. Um, I feel like players just kind of get around more a little bit more in NBA, and then players can randomly get hot as far as they, um, as far as like their, um, their talent level. Like, um, for example, like a lot of people gave up on, um, a lot of people gave up on uh, on on um, what's his name? I'm trying to think of his name. No, no, no. They gave up on um, D'Angelo Russell. Like people wrote him off. I look how well he's playing. So it's like with the NBA, there's a little bit more like of a curve. But soccer, like, you know, these players, for example, Marcus Rashford, he just turned 21. I'm already seeing people say, oh, well, he's not that good. I'm like, he's literally 21. Like, that's weird. But there's less of, there's like, there's such a short, there's such a short, like, lifespan in soccer because there's someone else coming up in your position. Um, you know, look at... Um, there's a kid that we had years ago, Federico Makeda. You know, Makeda, we thought he was going to do the next big thing. Now at 25, 26, he's a journeyman. So it's just like, it's just with soccer, there's just so many different options and like so many more, you know, it's, it's just tough. It's just such a, such, such a diff- more difficult environment. Well, it seems like there's an equal amount, to me anyway, it seems like there's an equal amount of Jeremy Lins as there is Jamie Vardy's. What, Zarrar, what do you think is an example of like why there is more late bloomers in the NBA than football. Is that talking about Pascal Siakam? Is that talking about Buddy Heald? Things like that? I think in soccer, players get bloodied uh, a lot earlier. Um, so if, if you're a, you know, you, know you, you made a comment about the youth system. I mean, there, there are professional systems starting at age, you know, 12 for, for, for big clubs or for any club. And you get tested very very early in your career you know by the time you are 17 you've already played you know a lot of games in a, in a, in a you know in a almost not not a professional but a semi professional setting where you're you're part you're wearing a big club's t-shirt and you're playing under 17 games and and you you're a, a lot of your skill is tested early and and whether you're good or not shines through very early in the in the um, in, in football Maybe the NBA uh, in basketball, uh, you know, not everybody gets to play college basketball in, in Division One. Uh, a lot of the times, player can slip through the cracks because nobody saw them. Uh, just just because there's so many of them, and there isn't like a real, really great system which picks up players at age nine, really, and and builds them through and monitors them through. So there are a lot more surprises because players just slip through the cracks. In football, I think I don't think it's 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 more difficult to slip through the cracks because everybody's watching there are systems in place where you know player movement and player players are tracked 
and players are also uh, scouted uh, much more thoroughly, I think, in, in football. So there's less chance of like players slipping through and becoming surprises like Pascal Siakam because they would have been caught early in, you know, in the, in the under 15, under 17 or under nine or whatever, under 21 leagues. Maybe to swing this back, and this isn't the direct question, but I've, it's something I've seen Tosin talk about on the timeline quite a few times, is the if the U.S. was putting their best athletes in soccer, they would dominate, dominate soccer worldwide. And also keep in mind what Zarar just said about how you can really figure out who's going to be a good player early, you can groom them, and less players fall through the cracks. Why do you think it's a fallacy that if the... U.S. was putting their best athletes in soccer, that they would be the best in the world. What, what is wrong with that statement? I'm, I'm so glad I finally have time to speak about it. <laughs> like, it's, it's been burning me for years to, uh, to, to finally speak about it. Um, so, and I hate the humble brag, but, like, I'm just going to do it anyway. So I grew up, so I moved to America in 2001, and I played in the U.S. youth system over here. Um, I played with some of, like, the best players the America's ever like had um, my team won three nationals my brother's team won three nationals three or four my cousin's team won two or three um, so we're very very like you know we're very very like deep into the soccer youth system here in this country um, and then on top of that my um, my um, I can't even think so for, there's a kid in my brother's team now who's on the U.S. national team um, Joe Zhao he he got his debut by Klopp in, in Dortmund um, and he's on the U.S. national team. And we know another bunch of kids who got offered to Chelsea. One of my teammates trained with May United for two or three months. So these are just people that I personally know. Um, I know a kid also who played at Marseille. My brother, when they were 12, they went to Paris to go play against, you know, U16, U15 kids in the tournament in Paris. Um, so for me, number one, is very disrespectful to the kids that are trying over here in the first place to even say that because... There's a whole bunch of people that you don't even know how talented, how crazy talented these kids are in the first place. Second of all, it's like you don't know how hard it is in the system. First of all, it's it's not like Europe where you can go to a main United when you're seven or eight and just be groomed in the system. You have to pay so much every year in this country to, to play. Um, that's number one. Number three is like there's so much inside politics and like, you know, the coaches over here. For general speaking, there are there are some good coaches. I can give you stories, but I don't want to like go on forever. Um, but there are so many coaches here that, like, don't really train the players. Um, they just look more so to winning. Like, our coach, my brother, cousin, and I, we got the same coach. He more so wanted us to win versus developing the players. And by the time, you know, you look at you look at the three teams I just gave you as an example, my brother's team, my brother is probably one of two players that's professional now. My team, no one's professional. My cousin's team, there's probably one or two players. So, it comes to a point where it's just like, what is it? Like, where is that drop-off where, like, you have so much talented players that just fall by the wayside? And it's, for me, it's mostly like a system thing. It's like you have to realize there are talented players in America. There's a bunch of talent. I mean, like, the current USU20 team, which is why I hate when I, why I hated people comparing the US women's team to the men's team because, you know, you have so many talented players. That, that whole U20 team that went to the Youth World Cup this year, they're really talented. You have, like, Tim Way. You have a bunch of different talents. So it's unfair to say that you know, if our best players played because, A, you're disrespecting the sport of soccer because that's a different type of athleticism you need to play. I mean, look how Luka Modric looks. Look how small Messi is and look how small Iniesta and Zavi. Like, you have guys who are like 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, who are arguably some of the best players that ever played. Maradona, for example, too. So it's just like, you don't have to be the biggest or strongest in the sport. You just really have to have a really ticking brain. I mean, Ocho Cinco, who is 
arguably one of the best wide receivers that ever played. He's played soccer, and he would tell you that, like, he struggled. Like, he struggled playing soccer. So it's it's mad disrespectful to the sport. I think that's kind of what it is for me. It's like you're, you're disrespecting the sport, in a sense. And, yeah, like, you just have to realize there's a different type of athleticism, and there are talented players in America. It's just that how does the system translate that talent into actual things? So... It's a lot of, I mean, I could go on for days, like I said, but it's just, long story short, just don't disrespect the sport and just understand, like, it's a whole different talent, like, a whole different sort of athleticism to play the sport. I'll get, I'll ask you one more question, and then, Zoran, mm-hmm. feel free to jump in right after. What do you think is, what has the most correlation to professional players? I know it's so hard with soccer. It's mm-hmm. not like basketball where you measure wingspan, vertical, things like that. What has the most correlation? What skill or trait has the most correlation to success and in professional soccer? players in soccer? Um, well, I personally feel like, especially when you get to a level of soccer, like everybody's talented at some point. Like everybody's really talented. What separates the best from the from what separates the greatest from like you know the good is a mentality. Like how bad do you want this? How bad do you really want to be great? Because I mean. Everybody, I mean, Zara can tell you, when Cristiano Ronaldo first joined Man United, he was a skinny buck-toothed kid who just dribbled too much. And now he's arguably top five player to ever play the game. And that's just all his mentality. So, it's, you know, that's a mentality aspect of it. It's a little bit of luck. Um, find the right move at the right time. I mean, and, and maximizing that window. I can give you a quick example from the Nigeria team. Um, when Nigeria won the youth... I think it was a U-17 World Cup in 2015. Um, we had four players who stood out. Um, Chukweze, Victor Oshiman, Kelly Shinkwali, and Funshaw. There's another kid. Four kids that stood out, right? Out of those four kids that's on the team, only two now on the Nigeria national team. The other two kids are struggling. Where that issue came off, it's not a, it's not a lack of talent. It's more so of right opportunity, and these players found the right team. So when you find that right team and right talent, it's literally just, okay, now you're in the right team. How do you maximize it and how do you avoid injury and how do you stay lucky? So it's just mentality and luck for me with soccer. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these guys are really talented. It's just how do you apply that talent? Um, and how do you apply that, you know, that desire and drive to win? Zorak? Uh, it's, it's so positionally dependent on what correlates. So, so, uh, so one thing that I've always... Um, uh, you know, from for four words, uh, I think the ability to create space when there is no space uh, has always been something that 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 can. That if you're if you're able to do that at a, at, a, at a young age, and you you know you got a defender on you, and you have something where you create maybe a yard of space when you're covered, I think that definitely bodes well for you. Um, I think there are certain players, um, you know, people in Zagi comes to mind where they just have a knack of it's it's almost like a like a rebounder in the NBA, knowing where the how the ball will bounce off the rim. Like Dennis Rodman was amazing at that. He just you know he had it down, figured out like if the ball is shot from here, it's that rim, it'll probably go there. I think you you look at some poachers in in football, like Inzaghi, or maybe sometimes Obama Yang to a lesser degree. Morata, Morata, yeah, who who just know where the ball will bounce at certain times, and that's born not that's not necessarily a particular. I mean, I guess it's, maybe it's not a physical skill, but they just read the game better and they know what the probabilities are and where the ball might be. And that makes them makes them great strikers or uh, great poachers. Um, defensively, 
I, I don't know, man. I, I, I think, you know, being a central defender or, or a right winger is, is, I think, one of the hardest positions in all of sports. Um, I, I, I'm always curious to know what what signs early on give away a good central defender. I honestly don't, I, I can't tell. Or, or there's too many for me to, to name for it to be a, like a unique sign. That's, yeah, that's one of the most interesting things to me. Just as somebody who came to soccer late as a fan, starting with Liverpool when they had Raheem Sterling and everybody souring on him, then him playing really well later on, not obviously not on that squad. And then there's contrasting that with the NBA, where it seems like talent and skill is almost undeniable. It's rarely about the position they're put in because the guys usually transcend their own position. They transcend the situation they're in, and it's just it's really, really evident who the, the very, very good players are. The last and, and, question. And so sorry, oh, sorry, I do want to, I, I do want to throw in Chicharito in there. Like he's always been one of my favorite players to watch and, and a guy just who has a knack of, of, of knowing where he should be. Yeah. And the last question is from my colleague, our colleagues are our Adam McQueen, Adam underscore McQueen says, why are premier league teams obsessed with bringing back legends of the club to become managers? And which NBA legend would be the best fit to coach his former team? Zarrar, we'll start with you. Oh, man. Why did you have to start with me on this one? This is, this is a tough question. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, why are they? I, I just think there is loyalty runs deep in, in football. Uh, and I feel that uh, when, um, and, and, you know, Wenger used to always say this, is that, is that you know, you, don't, you're, you're, you commit your life to football. It's not a job. It, it becomes, it, it, it consumes you. And if something is going to consume you, it may as well be something you love. And uh, I think maybe former players uh, have an attachment to the club and they're willing to kind of, you know, you know get, lit, get, get too close to the fire, basically, and, and, and dedicate themselves to their, uh, to their former club because there's, an, there's a loyalty, there's an allegiance of sort. Maybe because of just the just the player movement in the NBA, that loyalty doesn't always always exist. Although although they, I mean I can name you like you know a lot of players who stay, play with the, for the same team. Maybe that's that, that's one of the things that I would that I would guess um, for the NBA former players to come back as a coach. Uh, I mean, that's that's really really is Dirk, um, is Dirk a good one? Is Dirk a good coach? I don't know. That, that, well, that's we don't know if like, he's a good coach, but like, yeah, is he the, a, a prime candidate? Like, like that's my that's my thing. Like, I can name you a lot of players, but I just don't know how 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 well they could coach. So, so one guy that I would always, I always wonder why he didn't come back as a coach uh, is John Stockton. Uh, John Stockton ran the pick and roll with Carl Malone for for you know years in Utah, eighteen years. I don't know. I think it was something like that. And he was a point guard who just understood the game brilliantly. Like if if you watch any old jazz games, you, you saw the Utah offense under Jerry Sloan, and it was like tick tock clockwork, right? And you were like, this guy is just primed for coaching, but he just decided not to come back. And I think he is one guy that 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 is one legend that I was surprised never coached because I thought he just just watching him on the court, you thought that he could he could do it. That was and just on my own little tangent, I played. Not for Gonzaga, but I played a bit of basketball at Gonzaga with David Stockton, John Stockton's son. And I learned how to run the pick and roll from that dude. And the way he taught it, like it was so specific. Like you were saying, John Stockton, he understood the game on such a level. And David Stockton basically parroted everything that John said. And like the way they run the pick and roll, those guys, is, 
is nuts. Yeah, it would have been cool to see John Stockton as coach. To sin, who do you think? Uh, the best NBA player to uh, the the former NBA player that will be a that will be a great coach. Yeah, I'm gonna go low hanging fruit, Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah, that's that's a good one. He's he's almost there. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Jerry Stackhouse. I think what he did, um, you know, with the um, with the 905 and the Grizzlies. I mean, he's. I think he's on his way. I think Jerry and plus, like Jerry Stackhouse comes from like that old school era where like players talk back to him. He slapped the shit out of you. So, you know, Jerry Stackhouse is one of those old school guys who like you don't mess with Jerry Stackhouse. You don't mess with that him. That was so, my favorite story about Jerry Stackhouse was that he had fish that would eat each other. Like he had a fish tank. And there was one fish who was all scarred, but he would eat the other fish and he would just get new fish for that fish to eat because he was just he loved the dog in that fish, yeah. which is weird and a little inhumane. But I mean, you're talking about him being hard nosed. That's the thing. And uh-huh. the first part of the, the question again to sin, why do you think Premier League teams are obsessed with bringing back legends for to become the club managers? Like I said, man, it's loyalty runs deep. I mean, like when we hired Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I mean, I know a lot of my United fans weren't too happy about it. You know, they weren't too happy about uh, they weren't too happy about um, about the whole ordeal. Um, they wanted a different coach, and nostalgia in me. I mean, the nostalgic in me wants Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to work, and I think that's also a bit of it too. Is like it's so romanticized. Like they love that comeback story of like, oh yeah, come back. And, you know, it's it's almost like it's a uh, a boys club where like you've been here before, so that you know it in a sense well, that makes sense i feel really happy about where this conversation went and how it went zarar before we go is there anything you'd like to say to the listeners anything they should be reading or listening to uh well no i don't rappers republic you should listen to <laughs> uh, but other than that sam i got some news for you man the other day i took my uh, kid to uh, soccer and there's a basketball court next to it so you know, I noticed a couple of guys were playing. So next time soccer happened, I got my shoes and my ball. And I'm like, let's have a game. And it was the first time I experienced what you had mentioned to me um, in a, a couple of months earlier, where we played a game three on three, where they were taking it up right after an offensive rebound or, 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 oh, or yeah. like after rebound, they would not clear the ball. And I lost my mind. I was like, what are you guys? They're like, this, this is how it is. This is how it is. I was like, it hit the rim, and you're just like basically scoring cheap baskets. So the way I changed their mentality was like, when I, had, when, I got, when I got a rebound off the rim, they expected me to go up, but I dribbled it back all the way out. I cleared it. And they're like, no, you can go up. I'm like, nah, man, that's cheap. But when I started doing that, they started emulating it, and I changed the rules of the game mid-game. You are. You're lucky, man. And Tosin, just to give you the, the background on that, I live in Mexico, and the way they play pickup in Mexico is an abomination to basketball. <laughs> Everything is one, and you just go right up after the rebound. And they literally, I, yeah, I wrote an article about what Mex- the Mexican people here think of the Raptors, and they were mm-hmm. just like, guards suck, give it to the big guys, they're big. And that's how they play <laughs> basketball down there. They're like, the three-point doesn't exist as soon as you get a rebound. Put it back up because tall people like tall people play basketball in Mexico. There's not that many short guys who are interested. They're playing other sports, so they just Soccer, appeal yeah. to that. And yeah, like Zarar said, man, I wish because I did the same thing. I dribbled it out, but all they do is they just yell at me. They're <laughs> they just <laughs> rapid Spanish. They're so upset, and I'm just like, I don't want to score like that. I feel like I'm not 
gaining anything. I'm not actually yeah. scoring the ball. I'm just doing a layup, which, you know, I don't even have to be playing a game. Nobody's playing going, defense on me. They're going, yeah. full, they're going full 90s basketball over there. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how they play. To send yeah. uh, anything, it could be a book you're interested in. It could be the Shirtless Plantain Show. What do you want to let the people know? Obviously, listen to this podcast a lot more. That's what you first of all have to do. I'm going to shamelessly plug my show. I mean, we're coming back. Um, we're just kind of in a little bit of a hiatus right now because I just moved cities. So we're going to be back, though. Um, we'll be back with more content. Um, I'm excited to really, like, fully delve into, like, my creativity this year with soccer. There's going to be a lot more things I want to start doing. So watch out for that in the fall. And also, just to give you another plug, you recently wrote about Nigeria's team, the Super Eagles. That's yeah. on Medium. And yeah. if you go to his Twitter, which is Nigerian Scams, with a lot of S's on the end, I'm sure you'll find it. That's Three of them. As well. <laughs> yeah. And he also, yeah. you, you wrote about an article I really liked, Racism in Football as well. I think that was like in yeah. April. But yeah, that was that also one. really good. Can I... So uh, if, uh, go ahead. I also have a question for Tassin at yep. the end. It's, it's uh, y- y- your thoughts on uh, Alex Awobi. I love Alex Awobi. Um, I would never hide that. I think the world of Alex Iwobi. I think that um, he needs to play centrally a lot more. Um, I feel like a lot of people want to write him off, but he's just turning. He just turned 23, which is also what I've been saying about soccer fans. Like soccer fans are so quick to get rid of young players and never let them fully develop. I still feel like Alex um, should eventually leave Arsenal and go to a team in maybe Spain or Germany. Um, where he can, or Italy, um, where he can properly play in the middle of the field. But he's an Arsenal kid. Like, he grew up in it. Like, you know, what we were saying, like, a lot of these kids grow up, you know, he's been at Arsenal since he was six or seven. So that loyalty was going to run deep in him. So, um, but I love him. I love Alex Iwobi. I think the world of him. That's, I think that's as good a place to end it as any. Zarar, Tassin, thank you so much for coming on, guys. I really appreciate your time. No doubt. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you. And to all the listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. It was a bit of a break from just the basketball monotony, and there's not that much going on in the league right now. Whether you're listening to this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day, and goodbye. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. At The Home Depot, we improve things. This holiday season, we've improved Black Friday. Instead of one day of crazy, we've lowered prices now and they'll stay low all season. From decorations to dishwashers, wreaths to ratchet sets. So sleep in. You're not going to miss Black Friday. Not one little bit. Black Friday improved. The best prices of the year already here at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details.